Hello, it's Monday the 13th of November. I'm Miranda Sawyer and I've chucked my poppy into the sea. Welcome back to Paper Cuts, the modern newspaper review, where we riffle through a pile of papers to find you the fun, the newsiest news, the trendiest trends, the loopiest columns, and the umpteen mad ways that rich people spend their money and spare time, such as with polo and pegging. We're out every day, Monday to Friday, for your enlightenment and joy. <laughs> and you're enjoying our Paper Cuts take on things, at least Caco Davis. He thinks we are such fun and there's no way we're ruining that by revealing the dark truth. <laughs> now, here are the headlines for today's show. Off your pop, Rishi Sunak has finally shown Cruella Braverman the exit. Done your prep, doomsday is coming and some people are ready. And the never-ending story, book club gets to the end of a book after 28 years. Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Paper Cuts, where we're always penalty ready, even in the 97th minute. I'm Miranda Sawyer and with me on the show today is the critic's political sketch writer and fluent speaker of tabloides, it's Robert Hutton. Hello, Rob. Hello. Also with us is comedian and proficient reader of Braverman-ish, <laughs> it's Matt Green. Hello, Matt. Hello. So what do we have on the front pages today? Rob, they're a little bit out of date, aren't they? Just a little bit, a little bit, a little, 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 little bit. I mean, this is the problem with newspapers, the physical papers. We and love you, them. You set, you set it in stone, you take it off stone, and <clears throat> let me give you the Daily Mail. Yeah. Suella comes out fighting. <laughs> Come on, Suella. Okay, the Daily Telegraph. Braverman, the hate marches must end. Yeah. The Mirror... As a question, uh, have you no shame? It says with a picture of Stuella. Has she no shame? Mm, she no. has no shame. Yep. Right. That's <clears throat> and the Express. Will Suella survive PM's reshuffle? <laughs> no. As it turns out. <laughs> as it turns out, I have an email on my phone that has just come in. Da-da-da-da-da, breaking news. 10 Downing Street. The King has been pleased to approve the appointment of the Right Honourable James Cleverly MP as Secretary of State for the Home Department. This follows the departure from government of the right on Suella Braverman, KC MP. Oh, it's a sad day. Sad, 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 day. sad day. I'm just impressed the king is emailing you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Matt, what do you have? Uh, so the Times um, has arrest anti-Semitic yobs now, Sunak will tell Met. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got The Sun, uh, another never again. With a lovely picture. Is that a reference to Suella being Home Secretary? I think it might be, yeah. Uh, although, sadly, probably she will be again, it looks like. <laughs> who, know, who knows? Um, that's a pic with a lovely picture of Kate uh, marking Remembrance Day. Um, the Guardian um, has gone with um, something about housing, mould and squalid housing making NHS crisis worse. And the star, uh, yeah, it's talking about a storm. It's the perfect storm with a new storm soon to hit the UK. You know what the new storm's called? It's called... Suella. No. <laughs> no. Debbie. Debbie. Ah, oh, Debbie. She's coming in. With one B. Yeah. Now, breaking news as we go to the mics. <laughs> After a week of media stirring from Home Secretary Suella Braverman, Rishi Sunak has finally located his balls of steel <laughs> and sacked his controversial Home Secretary. Ta-da, Chuck. Rob, why has he sacked her? <laughs> I, so many reasons. I mean, it's what she wanted. But I think the view was basically the, the whole question has been, would it be better to have her inside the tent pissing out or outside the tent pissing in? And Ooh. then the realisation that she was, in fact, inside the tent just pissing. 
Uh, <laughs> sorry, so do you want me to do a different one? Like, uh, <laughs> it's fine. So early. <laughs> um, even Tory MPs think that last week she was not acting like an, like a Home Secretary, that she was acting like an outrider. She was acting like somebody who's trying to get get clicks, get do do well on social media. And actually the job of the Home Secretary when you have a difficult, um, tense public order situation is essentially to be a fire blanket, to to go pop up and say, look, everything's going to be okay. The police got this in hand. We trust everyone to behave themselves. Um, and instead what she was doing essentially was saying, massive bundle in Trafalgar Square, meet Saturday, 11am at the Senator. <laughs> and it turns out... That that was not a helpful intervention. It was not a helpful intervention. I mean, this is after she said that homelessness was a lifestyle choice and that tents should be banned. Um, And she went up against uh, Mark Rowley, who's the head of the police. She wrote an article for The Times that wasn't approved by Number 10 that managed to insult both unionists and Republicans in Northern Ireland. (laughs) Well done. Famously chilled out groups. Yeah, yes. really, really chilled out groups. And then after Saturday, which we did see some pretty awful scenes around the Cenotaph when a whole load of Tommy Robinson fans basically turned up to protect the Cenotaph as though they were yes, needed. Uh, right, right. Partly, and again, so you can make the case from, from Braverman's point of view that she is not responsible for what nutters do. Mm. Equally, I think that if you have spent the week as Home Secretary saying the police cannot protect the Cenotaph, it's not entirely surprising if a bunch of nutters turn up to protect the cenotaph. And it, it, again, was she was she inflaming things or was she suppressing things? Well, exactly. A lot of people have said that she was uh, she was in, inflaming things. Yes. Um, uh, excitingly, <laughs> <laughs> now she's gone. It does mean that we're going to have a reshuffle. Is this exciting? Is this exciting? Are we? Excited? I'm, I'm, I'm always excited by reshuffles. Okay, can we just have the bombshell moment that we've had so far this morning? What is the bombshell moment? Bombshell moment that we've had is that um, as we record this, um, the man many people say is Britain's worst prime minister since Anthony Eden. David Cameron has been seen walking up Downing Street and the theory is, well, maybe he's there to lobby for a client. Maybe he's just, he's, he's, you know, gone in to sort of offer some advice on decor, but maybe he's going to be put in the House of Lords and made into Foreign Secretary. Wow. Which would be... Can we just say trotters up? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the thing is, the thing, the, everybody knows that David Cameron has been bored is this is this enough of a reason to appoint someone yeah, as foreign secretary? It's like, oh, he's a bit bored. Bless him. Give him a give him a give him something to do in the out, out, I out think, of the country. I think I think that the trouble with this is that this is the kind of thing that that people like me and my colleagues, little journalists, love because it's exciting and we didn't expect it. And but actually, putting my um, House of Commons watcher hat on, I think this is a bad idea because the thing with reshuffles is you always make more enemies. Uh, than you make friends if you're prime minister because you demote people and they're angry and you fail to promote people and they're angry and the one and foreign secretary is is a great job to give people because basically nothing is your fault and you spend your time flying around the world first class and people are generally glad to see you i think i think there's almost like a sporting metaphor here too it's like it's like a team that's in trouble bringing back like an old player who was great or they thought was great in in the old days and they bring back for one final game and but he's he's not for the future he's not yeah, going to be someone yeah. who's right, right. Ronaldo. so 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 well, <laughs> There's, there, there are there are 20, 50 people in the, on the Tory benches who would love to be foreign secretary and n- none of them are going to be made happy 
by giving it to somebody that fundamentally Rishi Sunak doesn't need to keep happy. And it suggests that there's no one in the House of Commons who could do it. That's what he's saying, that he's yeah. sort yeah. of saying that, yeah. well, we, we've looked you, at all of you guys and none of you are any good. You're all useless. Yeah. You can't even do this job that is basically just sitting in first-class lounges. None of you are up to it. And to be fair, there's quite a lot going on in the world at the moment, yeah. too. Okay, <laughs> maybe there is slightly more <laughs> the to foreign secretary. Than, it's than, more than the first-class lounges. More than the first-class lounges. But it, but it is a plum posting for people who like to travel. Yeah. And he should have given it to somebody he wanted as a friend. Okay. So, look, I feel like we should look at the paper's um, kind of mm. effect around Suella. So, mm. Matt, last, uh, last week, the mail went all out to back Suella Braverman mm. and came out with some quite outrageous headlines, didn't it? Um, yeah, it came out, uh, it said Suella comes out fighting. That was uh, on Friday. Then it's like, come for Suella and you come for all of us. Uh, uh, then there was, pray they don't end up with a riot at the Cenotaph. I think that was um, over the weekend, which again is like uh, essentially that exactly the opposite of what they want to happen. The prayer was for them that they wanted there to be a riot at the Cenotaph, but I think they sort of were expecting it to be a slightly different riot. I think they were hoping that it would be people from the pro-Palestinian march who kind of got involved in that. But in fact, it's people from the far right who ended up getting involved in that. So I think that hasn't quite worked out as they wanted it to. But at least something from their point of view, something has happened. There's been some violent effect. And so they can sort of say, well, we told you something bad would happen. Yeah, it's a very, I mean, I did think, you know, I have a time for the mail. You know, the mail is a paper that does its thing. But I did think these headlines are really inflammatory. They're really not a good idea. Yeah. And I think it does feel like it's it's people, it's, it's them backing Suella all the way and, and saying that, that she is their sort of, paladin now she's the person who's kind of taking their standard forward and mm. be interesting to see how they react to what's happened today yeah definitely and also i mean they they kind of listed you know there's like 145 re- uh, arrests over the weekend without saying that actually most of the arrests mm. were of the far right tommy robinson lot yeah. and they, they didn't mention that at all well really. proportionally hugely yeah absolutely. yeah i'd I, say so the palestinian march was huge i think i mean it's worth <laughs> There are lots of people who look at the pictures from the Palestine March and who weren't on it and who see see the pictures of people carrying, frankly, hateful signs yeah. and think, I'm not sure about this. Yeah, you know, and, there, and there's been some videos on social media know, with yeah. people saying horrible things and anti-Semitic and things. If you, so there are, con, there are absolutely legitimate concerns about the march, but the, the, the march was huge and very and most largely people, it peaceful. Was fine. Yeah. So, in fact, you could well have been on that march and just have seen lots of people wear, you know, waving waving Palestinian flags and saying "Don't bomb Gaza," and that's what you were marching for. That's fair enough. Obviously, if you experience it through social media, what you experience is the worst bits. Um, what do we think um, about our dear leader Rishi Sunak in this situation? <laughs> I mean, because before he decided to sack Suella, he was apparently drawing up a five-point package, according to the Times, which was going to allow police to prohibit provocative chants. Um, as a condition of allowing protests, also allow them to take into account the cumulative effect of weeks of marches and give a lower threshold at which police can ban marches. So he he is supposedly bringing in some things that will calm marches down. So John Woodcock, um, former Labour MP, now Baron Walney, for some reason, in the House of Lords, um, uh, has done a report which he's been doing for a while on all of this kind of stuff. And these, these are essentially his recommendations. I think the problem the problem is that this is a this is a public order thing. If it, you can't in a free society stop a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand people deciding to come to London for the day, and you can say, well, you can't march, we won't close the roads for you, but then you have a different public order problem. And there's a lot of well, why didn't the police sort of charge in and grab this person with this banner and that person with that banner? I mean, I 
I'm not Home Secretary, so it's not my job to criticise the police. And we don't know who I, it is yet. I, I, <laughs> I, I suspect the answer is if if somebody is marching peacefully, actually the cops take a view, well, if we go in there and we grab that person right now, we create a problem mm. where they're yep. sort of... These are difficult judgments, unless you're Home Secretary, in which case they're easy judgments. And I don't know how you how changing the law ultimately... Well, there's still a free speech question there, isn't there? And and you're asking the police to make these kind of snap judgments in the moment rather than taking a, a, you know, taking time to investigate, which is what they're meant to do, and look at the evidence. It feels like Rishi Sunak and others in government are sort of saying they want the police to kind of make these immediate judgments and go in and show that there is immediate consequences. But that's not that's not how things work. That's not how it's not not how they used to work anyway. Yeah. Now, in The Guardian over the weekend, there was an interesting article about preppers. Preppers, for those who don't watch zombie films, are people who are convinced that a catastrophic event is coming in the near future. God, how weird. <laughs> and An- so another one. <laughs> <laughs> and so have stocked up on essential supplies in order to survive a doomsday scenario. They've prepared, hence they are preppers. So, Matt, with recent events, considering those, preppers don't really seem quite as eccentric as they used to, do they? No. I mean, I was just reflecting on the fact that I did put together a sort of no-deal Brexit stash at home, just in case when it was all looking very like suddenly there might be an awful moment where we couldn't get anything in the shops and I'd put some things away. And then that just that just became smoothly my COVID stash. <laughs> right. I had it for a bit and then I thought, maybe I'll, I'll break this down. Oh, no, something's, there's a pandemic on the way, apparently. I'll just leave all of those toilet rolls and things in there. Oh, and then I was, was going to ask you what was in your stash. Well, it was lots of, you know, the usual stuff, pasta and toilet rolls and things like that, which um, I thought, I'll just buy one extra, you know, for a couple of weeks and see what happens. Yeah. Um, but there are people who take it a lot more seriously than that uh, and obviously have more storage space than I do. Mm. Um, because, um, yeah, it's apparently Americans uh, spent $11 billion on prepping supplies last year. Um, Amazon, eBay have got these dedicated sections on prepping. And I do feel part of this is a sort of almost like people wanting to feel like it's the end of the world because then Mm. they get to try what freeze-dried food tastes like. There's a slight sort of fantasy element to it. Um, But obviously things like COVID boosted this. Um, and then you've got people who, you know, you can you can buy a full nuclear survival kit. I love this kit. Which costs, <laughs> I mean, it, it contains, right, so it contains a gas, gas mask with a drinking system, hazmat suit, foil poncho, head torch, military glow sticks, um, in case you want to have a rave in the middle of the apocalypse. It's a, it's a, I mean, it's a full raving outfit, I have to say. You know. Hazmat suit and foil poncho and head torch <laughs> and, rave, and, and raver sticks. And wet wipes and anti-back gel. It's basically Glastonbury kit, yeah. isn't it? That's what this... <laughs> It's just, and it costs £564.95, apparently. Which I bet it doesn't come in women's sizes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you only get seven ration portions. So you survive the nuclear apocalypse and then you've got seven days to go. Yeah, that's it. That's all it. The thing it always reminds me of is when you have very small children, like babies, or like you just go out with everything with you yes. at all the time. Yeah. It's exactly the same. And you arrive at like wherever you're going, like a cafe with extra sandwiches, just in case, yeah. you know, and wet wipes and stuff. It's just like that, but slightly larger portions. No, is that not what it is? Maybe a little bit fewer kind of nappies, but I don't know. That's I cool. think there is a prepper scale. Because yeah. for instance, last last October, I decided that it was there was no way we were going to get through the winter without a blackout. And so I went and bought some torches and some battery inverters and this kind of thing. And indeed, when we then did lose power, 
um, felt very smug. smug. Yeah, I yeah. did feel I felt so smug. When <laughs> <laughs> There's also a really awful thing where they inter- in, in this article they interviewed um, uh, somebody who worked at Blacks and said one of the really it, I find this incredibly depressing is that people are buying sleeping bags and blankets because they can't afford their electricity. So right. that is yeah. proper prepping because of the cost of living prices. They're just wrapping themselves up, which is very sad. There are of course the posh preppers. The billionaires. Mm. Billionaires have gone the full hog <laughs> and they've bought land in New Zealand rather huge than tracts of land as well. Huge tracts of land in New Zealand rather than just the odd sleeping bag. But one of the people who's bought it is Peter Thiel. Yep. He's a billionaire venture capitalist who co founded PayPal, invested early in Facebook, also a Trump supporter. Mm. Yeah, the idea that you're going to end up in it, it's such, again, such a sort of fantasy, this billionaire's fantasy of, and apparently there's people are saying that he's essentially someone who wants to effectively have his own country. He's bought up this huge amount of land in New Zealand and he's sort of building on it. And and apparently there are various billionaire mates of his who, if if it's going down, if shit's going down, then they're all going to fly in private jets to New Zealand and live there for a mm. while, which every time I read about something like that, I always think, have none of these people ever seen a film? Like a, a, a zombie film or an apocalyptic <laughs> film or even just a, a film set in a house, you know, where the, the power goes out for a day. People are going to die very quickly. Yeah, exactly. Well, they're going to um, they're going to kind of move to these amazing houses in New Zealand, but obviously because they are who they are, they're going to need staff. Yeah, and yeah. the staff, after a while, are going to turn on them. I would say no. So there is a big thing with your billionaire prepper that when you're <laughs> when you're when you're doing your billionaire prepping. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of the appeal about this actually is that it is it buying stuff. Yeah. And it's thinking about scenarios. And as a man, I like buying stuff gadgets. and I like gadgets, making plans. It? It's like okay, the billionaire is... version of getting a shed. Yes. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> now, the NHS pops up on various front pages today in different stories or with a different angle. It's all a little bit depressing, I have to say, but I feel like we should have a look. So, Rob, the Guardian's front page, its big splash, is an investigation that it's done into how the housing crisis in the UK is contributing to strain on the NHS. What's it found out? Right. So this is the housing crisis. And also, of course, this is the energy crisis because everything's more expensive. So their top story is that thousands of babies and toddlers are being admitted to hospital each year with lung conditions that are linked to um, damp and mould-ridden homes. It's now apparently a crucial issue for uh, child health. Nearly 31,000 children under four uh, admitted each year with uh, respiratory problems. And if you want to know how this is happening, they've gone to Blackpool, where they have discovered that every single privately rented home has mould. It's just appalling. I mean, it's just like... That's heating. That's that's not being yeah. able to turn the yeah. heat on. That's not being able to open your windows and turn the heating yeah. on. That's, yeah. that's crucial. That's, yeah. Basic I, stuff. It's really depressing. It's really, really awful. And <laughs> like I'm really sorry about this, but I just felt like we should we should cover it. This yeah. is a story. It's like a it's a story that goes on all the time and seems to be getting worse and worse. And it's and mold is one of those issues that everybody can understand because it yeah. is um everyone who's ever rented privately will know there's always there's one always room. Black you know. mold. Yeah. And yeah. it's something that I think it, it's very it's quite tricky to deal with once it's kind of got into the 
property. You can kind of prevent it and you can reduce it. But once it's there, you have to properly deal with it. And also the problem for renters is they're really worried about having a home. So they can't go in hard on the landlord because the landlord just goes, see you later and get somebody else in and there's nowhere for them to go. Mm. Okay, Matt, the Telegraph has a different story about the NHS on its front page. It's about GPs. Yeah, I mean, basically saying that GPs are, in its words, becoming an elusive species for elderly people, um, with eight out of 10 elderly people saying they've been forced into phone appointments when they wanted to see a face-to-face appointment. Um, Almost one in five went to A&E because they couldn't get a GP appointment, even though their situation was urgent. Uh, One in six couldn't even make a phone call to get an appointment. They had to fill in an online form. Uh, One in three uh, are saying they're resorting to private healthcare. And I think it shows that there are all these new, like my GP practice is great online. There's really good online booking and uh, I haven't had to call them for ages because they've all the, it's all online. But of course, that's good for me because I know how to use online and I'm quite comfortable with that. And I'm quite happy seeing whichever GP is available at the time. But older people often are much, you know, want to see the people they've seen before uh, and they're not comfortable online as much. And um, yeah, th- th- this, is a, this is a real problem. Yeah, they just want to turn up to the, to the GPs and like talk to somebody and make an appointment mm. and it becomes impossible. And then Robert, the Times has yet another take on the NHS. And what is that? So this is an interesting story, which is that basically, although there are more doctors than there were 10 years ago, there are more nurses, there's more money has gone into the NHS, but it is actually the NHS is for some reason not improving productivity. And this is a this is a sort of genuine mystery. Well, it, is it a genuine mystery? Because is it one of these situations where you have strained the system so much and you you have you have got all of these new problems? You've got kids coming in with complex lung problems that weren't that wasn't happening a decade ago. And for that reason, the the NHS is falling apart. Is it that staff staff under strain are just not working as well as they used to because you've made them all work so much harder because you've had your decade of austerity that's created all these problems? This might be the moment to tell you about another email that I've just had. Mm. Oh, yes. The King has been pleased to approve the appointment of the Right Honourable David Cameron as Secretary of State for Foreign Commonwealth and Development Affairs. His Majesty has also been pleased to confer the dignity of a barony of the United Kingdom for life upon David Cameron, who, just let's be clear, if we're saying that austerity may have been a massive public policy mistake, come on down, David Cameron. Yeah, Yeah. it was his policy, and now he's a baron. Baron. Now, at Papercuts, headlines are our bestest friends. We love them. Which is why every Friday we bring you the Papercuts Fix the Headline competition. How it works is we find you a great story with an ungreat headline and you send in better ones for us to judge on a Monday. So on Friday, we gave you a piece from the Daily Mail about Dior launching a very expensive perfume for babies. Their headline... I know. Have they gone gaga? Dior launches perfume for babies at £230 a pop. (sighs) Wow, good Christmas present, right? Boringo, we knew you could do better with your headlines, and you did. On Twitter, Tom Scopes offered, Oh, Dirk, can't yet use the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. That's good, right? Chris Thompson had Chanel under five, which would work. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. No, yeah, it's all right. Like it would work, yeah, except yeah. it's Dior we're talking about. Oh. And being precise. Yeah. And Max Harvey tried Gucci, Gucci, goo, yeah. which would also it's work, except it's Dior. Dior. Yeah. And Daniel Sladen gave us the excellent scent a baby, which definitely works, except it's not quite Christmas. Okay. On threads, 
Alcamilla Mollis tried Common Sense Goes Out the Window. But the winner is Jay Butler-Moore with the Scottish sounding Smells Like Ween Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Congratulations, Jay. Send us your address and T-shirt size and soon you'll be posing about in a Papercuts T-shirt to the envy of all your friends. What about today? Do we have any good headlines? Rob, what have you got? I've got a triple header from The Sun. Starting on page three with um, the story that Marks and Spencer's trousers, um, if you wash them, they uh, smell like a wet dog. And the headline, it's a exclusive. First of all, well done. Um, the Pong trousers. Very good. We yep. like that. Yep, I like that. I've got more. So, so I've spent the past half hour trying to think of a better version of this headline, but I, I, I like the one that they've done. This is the, this is the news about... Um, Storm Debbie, killer gale force wind uh, heading for the UK. Um, Storm is Debbie Harry. <laughs> feel like That's all right. It's there's okay. a Debbie does something, yeah. but I can't think. I can't. Yeah. I can't that think goes, where. That goes on, into right. other areas. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, finally, this is my favourite story of the weekend: um, the escaped circus lion. Oh, yeah, <laughs> he's great. Wandered wandered through um, an Italian town. Left the circus for a little bit of a while <laughs> and wandered around the seaside. This is slightly one that you have to see written down, but it's um, Exile on Main Street, M-A-N-E. Yeah, right. Um, nice, yeah. 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 No, we well very done. happy about that. Well lion. done, The Sun. Strong strong work for the Sunday shift. They also had in the star for the same um, story, Mama Meow. <laughs> <laughs> but that makes it sound like really small. I know. <laughs> like so a teeny, this tiny little lion. This is not a lion you'd want to meet. No. Uh, not a tame lion. Definitely not. <laughs> Matt, what do you have? Uh, so uh, the Mail uh, have gone with wow. the story about uh, Michelle Moan. Um, last week, uh, admitted links to a PPE firm. Uh, now her billionaire husband fa- faces a tax trial. Uh, so she's p- possibly in trouble. Uh, and the Mail have gone with, could this be the final undoing of Baroness Bra? Oh, that's quite good, especially yeah. in the Mail. Yeah, it's, wow. yeah. Don't usually go for their puns. Um, uh, the Star uh, uh, have, have gone with... Uh, a story about the fact that um, people at uh, a famous supermarket are upset with the fact police officers have not arrested over 2,000 shoplifters. They've called them, but they haven't come out to arrest them. And the headline is Cop Out at Co-op. Well, that's good. Yeah. yeah. And uh, finally, with the star, let's find this one. Vending machine snacks and other convenience foods are making us sick. And the headline is We're All Snackered. Oh, that's Very nice. Good. Yep. I yes, yeah, snackered. I'm going to yeah. just use that as my mode for life. Now, between the front pages war and the back pages var, you can find the cuddly middly bit of the papers, the lovely lifestyles, fluffy features, and what to buy your nan for Christmas section. We love it here. Over the weekend, the Times gave us a classic middle sectioner, the not-quite-here-yet AI gadget. This is an AI gadget that can improve your memory by recording everything. Rob, what are they on about? <laughs> it's called. I mean, what are they on? This is a three-year-old New York startup, Rewind AI. Um, you, it's a crayon-sized cylinder mic that you wear as a necklace, and it records everything you say and what everyone says to you, and then that sort of links up to a, lab, a thing on the cloud, and it reads your email, and it looks at all your videos. And it's the idea is, ah, oh, it's perfect memory. I will never have to. Uh, think again what Miranda said to me. Uh, yeah, I have the ago. evidence. I have, yes. Exactly. It's going to be great in rows, isn't it? You actually said this. No, I said this. It's mm-hmm. recorded. Yeah, I mean, actually, that would be quite useful for 
home rouse. I mean, except <laughs> except would it? Yes, but, except uh, because would it. because the important thing in home rouse is just to say I'm. I'm sorry. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Not, yeah, the important thing, do you want to be right or do you want to be don't happy? Don't prove you're right. Choose happy. <laughs> yeah, it's a quite another thing. It's a little bit like Google Glass, you know, that kind of weird idea yeah. that everything was going to come through your through your specs mm. and this is now going to be hung around your neck. I mean, I did think of a kind of awful thing where I thought, okay, it's got, definitely going to decide kind of questions of consent around sex. But then also, it's recording your sex. Yeah, I, yeah and... And That's also, yeah, well, where where is your consent for recording all of this stuff? Yeah, you know, they're, because they're a bit because about I'm that. not supposed to record you covertly without your knowledge. It's like everyone in the world is wearing a body cam, basically, at that point, which uh, makes everyone feel like the police and everyone not like the police. It's like, I thought we weren't trying to become like a kind of totalitarian state. It's also actually, how useful is this? Because you don't, you know, as somebody who listens to a lot of things and takes notes and then thinks who said what... You actually, what you want is to be able to immediately recall the three important things yeah. at, at, from from Wednesday three weeks ago. You don't actually want to have to trawl through sixteen hours of unimportant things to get to the important things. That would be like having to read Nadine Doris's book again. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like it's like they talk about um, the uh, spy agencies, the CIA or MI five, and they they have so much intelligence they can't sift it, and yeah. so they find out about plots that happened ten years ago, you know, because they've only just got to the point in the uh, the detail, and they there'd have to be some sort of I guess AI algorithm that would sift out what's interesting, and what isn't, and you'd. You'd it's hope. us. They yeah. just need us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which bit is fun? We'll tell you. Okay. And Matt, you found a really interesting article about a book club in The Observer, didn't you, over the weekend? Yeah. It was a book club in um, Venice, California, that decided to read Finnegan's Wake by James Joyce, of a very notoriously difficult to read book. So they read a couple of pages a month and finished the book after 28 years. <laughs> I love this. It's such a kind of zen art state. It feels, affair, yeah, isn't it, it feels like it became a kind of art project. Um, they talked about it being almost like, you know, it becomes almost like a social group, almost like a choir. Um, and there's a guy who started it called Jerry uh, Fialka, who's an experimental filmmaker. He started in 1995, which is apparently 28 years ago. Um, which yeah, is I depressing can't believe that. In itself. <laughs> I'm, I'm just blipping over that bit. <laughs> Um, and basically, they were initially going to try and read it quite quickly, but then realised it's a very complex book, so they read it quite slowly, one or two pages a week. Um, and then it's, yeah, it's it's between 10 and 30 people. People drop out of it and then come back to it 10 years later. <laughs> they'll sort of get, they'll move away and then come back and they're still reading the same book. Yeah. One still guy, on the same chapter. Yeah. <laughs> one guy dropped out for 20 years <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and came back and they'd advanced from chapter one to chapter 15. But this, there's also apparently other other book groups there are others, the reading yeah. reading Finnegan's Wake across the world. It's amazing. There's one in Dublin who's about to finish the book. It only took them 15 years, a brisk 15 years, as it was described in the article. <laughs> Speed reading. Yeah. Um, and, and Joyce only spent 17 years to write it. And he had four years off with writer's block. So it's wow. taken them significantly longer to read than it did to write. It really, really is. My favourite thing about it, though, is, that the, is the quote from um, Jerry Fialka at the end where he said... I don't want to lie. It wasn't like I saw God. It wasn't a big deal. <laughs> but also, you know what they've done now? They've started it again. <laughs> and that's the end of today's paper cuts. Thanks to Rob. 
Thank you. Thanks to Matt. Thank you. And thanks to every one of you in our Papercut Supporters Club helping us to stay indie and proud for just £5 a month. If you too want to become instantly cleverer and far more desirable, just follow the show notes to back.papercutshow.com to find out more. And our fabulous supporters get a shout out on every show. So who do we have today? Hello, and you are terrific, John Enyu. Hi, and you're fantastic to Anthony Lawrence. Hiya, and you are sensational, Rod Scott Smith. I've been Miranda Sawyer, and you've been listening to Papercuts on a day when the Times lets us know that Gwyneth Paltrow's skiing trial <laughs> is being made into a br- musical. <laughs> a musical. So brace yourself for songs such as Goop, I Did It Again, <laughs> and Walk This Way, if you've put your jade egg where I think you have. <laughs> See you tomorrow. Paper Cuts was written and presented by Miranda Sawyer with Rob Hutton and Matt Green. Audio production was from me, Robin Lieber. Music by Simon Williams. Socials by Jess Harvin. Design by Jim Parrott and art by Modern Toss. Managing editor is Jacob Jarvis, group editor Andrew Harrison and executive producer Martin Boitosh. And Paper Cuts is a Podmasters production. 